0: My little girl, said Monsieur Pillerault, you have won a good husband. He has a warm heart and honorable feelings, he is true as gold, and as good as an infant Jesus, in fact, a king of men. Constance frankly abdicated the more brilliant destiny to which, like all shop girls, she may at times have aspired. She wished to be an honest woman, a good mother of a family, and looked at life according to the religious program of the middle classes." Such a career suited her own ideas far better than the dangerous vanities which seduce so many youthful Parisian imaginations. Constance, with her narrow intelligence, was a type of the petty bourgeoisie whose labors are not performed without grumbling, who begin by refusing what they desire and end by getting angry when taken at their word, whose restless activity is carried into the kitchen and into the counting-room into the gravest matters of business, and into the invisible darns of the household linen, who love while scolding, who conceive no ideas but the simplest, the small change of the mind, who argue about everything, fear everything, calculate everything, and fret perpetually over the future. Her cold but ingenuous beauty, her touching expression, her freshness and purity, prevented by Rado from thinking of her defects, which moreover were more than compensated by a delicate sense of honor natural to women, by an excessive love of order, by a fanaticism for work, and by her genius as a saleswoman. Constance was eighteen years old, and possessed eleven thousand francs of her own. Caesar, inspired by his love with an excessive ambition, bought the business of the Queen of Roses, and removed it to a handsome building near the Place Vendôme. At the early age of twenty one, married to a woman he adored, the proprietor of an establishment for which he had paid three quarters of the price down, he had the right to view, and did view, the future in glowing colours, all the more when he measured the path which led from his original point of departure. Rogwin, notary of Ragan, who had drawn up the marriage contract, gave the new perfumer some sound advice, and prevented him from paying the whole purchase money down with the fortune of his wife. Keep the means of undertaking some good enterprise, my lad, he had said to him. Bayrato looked up to the notary with admiration, fell into the habit of consulting him, and made him his friend. Like Ragan and Pilaralt, he had so much faith in the profession that he gave himself up to Ragwin without allowing himself a suspicion. Thanks to this advice, Caesar, supplied with the eleven thousand francs of his wife for his start in business, would have scorned to exchange his possessions for those of the first consul, brilliant as the prospects of Napoleon might seem. At first the Bayrados kept only a cook, and lived in the entresol, above the shop, a sort of den tolerably well-decorated by an upholsterer, where the bride and bridegroom began a honeymoon that was never to end. Madame Caesar appeared to advantage behind the counter. Her celebrated beauty had an enormous influence upon the sales, and the beautiful Madame Bayrado became a topic among the fashionable young men of the empire. If Caesar was sometimes accused of royalism, the world did justice to his honesty. If a few neighboring shopkeepers envied his happiness, everyone at least thought him worthy of it. The bullet which struck him on the steps of St. Roch gave him the reputation of being mixed up with political secrets and also of being a courageous man, though he had no military courage in his heart, and not the smallest political idea in his brain. Upon these grounds the worthy people of the arrondissement made him captain of the National Guard, but he was cashiered by Napoleon, who, according to bayrado owed him a grudge for their encounter on the thirteenth Vendemiaire. Caesar thus obtained at a cheap rate a varnish of persecution, which made him interesting in the eyes of the opposition, and gave him a certain importance. During the first year Caesar instructed his wife about the sales of their merchandise and the details of perfumery, a business which she understood admirably. She really seemed to have been created and sent into the world to fit on the gloves of customers. At the close of that year the assets staggered our ambitious perfumer, all costs calculated, he would be able in less than twenty years to make a modest capital of one hundred thousand francs, which was the sum at which he estimated their happiness. He then resolved to reach fortune more rapidly, and determined to manufacture articles, as well as retail them. Contrary to the advice of his wife, he hired some sheds, with the ground about them, in the Faubourg du Temple, and painted upon them in big letters, Manufactory of Caesar Bairado. He enticed a skillful workman from Grasse, with whom he began, on equal shares, the manufacture of soaps, essences, and eau de cologne. His connection with this man lasted only six months and ended by losses which fell upon him alone. Without allowing himself to be discouraged, Bairado determined to get better results at any price, solely to avoid being scolded by his wife, To whom he acknowledged later that in those depressing days his head had boiled like a saucepan, and that several times, if it had not been for his religious sentiments, he should have flung himself into the seine. Harassed by some unprofitable enterprise, he was lounging one day along the boulevard on his way to dinner, for the Parisian lounger is as often a man filled with despair as an idler, when among a parcel of books for six sous apiece, laid out in a hamper on the pavement his eyes lighted on the following title, Yellow with Dust, Abdiker, or The Art of Preserving Beauty. He picked up the so-called Arab book, a sort of romance written by a physician of the preceding century, and happened on a page which related to perfumes. Leaning against a tree on the boulevard to turn over the leaves at his ease, he read a note by the author which explained the nature of the skin and the cuticle and showed that a certain soap or a certain paste often produced effects quite contrary to those expected of them, if the soap and the paste toned up a skin which needed relaxing, or relaxed a skin which required tones. Bairado bought the book, in which he saw his fortune. Nevertheless, having little confidence in his own lights, he consulted a celebrated chemist, Vauquelin, from whom he naively inquired how to mix a two-sided cosmetic which should produce effects appropriate to the diversified nature of the human epidermis. Truly scientific men-men who are really great in the sense that they never attain in their lifetime the renown which their immense and unrecognized labors deserve are nearly always kind and willing to serve the poor in spirit. Valkalin accordingly patronized the perfumer and allowed him to call himself the inventor of a paste to whiten the hands, the composition of which he dictated to him. Byrado named this cosmetic the double paste of sultans. To complete the work, he applied the same recipe to the manufacture of a lotion for the complexion, which he called the carminative balm. He imitated in his own line the system of the Petit Matlow, and was the first perfumer to display that redundancy of placards, advertisements, and other methods of publication which are called, perhaps unjustly, charlatanism. The paste of sultans and the carminative balm were ushered into the world of fashion and commerce by colored placards, at the head of which were these words, approved by the Institute. This formula, used for the first time, had a magical effect. Not only all France, but the continent flaunted with the posters, yellow, red, and blue, of the monarch of the the Queen of Roses, who kept in stock, supplied, and manufactured, at moderate prices, all that belonged to his trade. At a period when nothing was talked of but the East, to name any sort of cosmetic the paste of sultans thus divining the magic force of such words in a land where every man hoped to be a sultan as much as every woman longed to be a sultana, was an inspiration which could only have come to a common man or a man of genius. The public always judges by results. Bayratto passed for a superior man, commercially speaking, all the more because he compiled a prospectus whose ridiculous phraseology was an element of success. In France they only made fun of things which occupy the public mind, and the public does not occupy itself with things that do not succeed. Though byrado perpetrated this folly in good faith and not as a trick, the world gave him credit for knowing how to play the fool for a purpose. We have found— not without difficulty, a copy of this prospectus at the establishment of Popinot and Company, Druggists, Rue de Lombards.